You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's the 355th episode of the program. My name's Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. You can hear the show, LockdownVikings.com, a FanRag sports affiliate. We're also on iTunes. Leave a rating. The guest today, Arif Hassan, at Arif Hassan NFL. He's a stalwart on the program. And if you want to hear an extended edition of Vikings Eagles Talk Zone Coverage Football Machine featuring Arif Hassan, amongst others, last night at the Egan Buffalo Wild Wings. Arif, you're right back at it this morning. How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Looking forward to this Vikings-Eagles game on Sunday. We're about three days away. It's going to be one of those long Sundays, though, right, where you have to just sit on your hands and you wait and you watch the AFC game. And Oh, it's going to be tough, but uh, my colleague Luke and I, uh, who you also work with, we're going to be traveling all day, so who knows? Maybe it'll make the day longer. Maybe it'll make it shorter, but it's it's going to be different, I think, for us than most Sundays. Right. You're going down to the Senior Bowl, Mobile, Alabama. You're going to start your draft preparation. You're you're sort of like the Vikings organization. You don't even wait until the season's done. You're cranking away, working on those prospects. Yeah, you got to find out. I mean, if the season's over uh, then, then, at least we get a little bit of a head start. If it's not, you know, uh, we'll have uh, we'll have some draft coverage a couple of days after the Super Bowl. So either way, I think it'll help us out. So do you think if the Vikings are eliminated on Sunday, do you think Mike Zimmer and the coaching staff will be in Mobile on Monday? Oh, boy. Uh, maybe not Monday. Maybe Tuesday. Um, but uh, they, they get to work pretty quickly. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them uh, get to work as soon as possible. Yeah, I guess Mike will have to do the post-mortem, post-season press conference probably on Monday. So probably not on Monday. But anyway, we'll talk a little bit about Vikings-Eagles here. It is Mike Zimmer's defense against Nick Foles uh, in terms of a pass rush. What do you think the Vikings will be able to accomplish against this Eagles offensive line? Uh, it's a tough offensive line. It's a pretty good one. They're better run blockers than pass protectors, but they've kind of emerged as a, one of the top-tier offensive lines in the NFL. Uh, and in terms of a pass rush, I think, you know, Everson Griffin coming off of their left side, uh, you know, he'll probably be able to get some done. They've got a replacement tackle there. Uh, his name's too difficult to pronounce. So I'll just call him Big V. Um, he's been having a lot of struggles this year. Um, but on the other side, it's going to be really difficult for, you know, Daniil Hunter to get up on, on Lane Johnson for the interior pass rush to get up on Jason Kelsey. Still, uh, they're a little bit better at run blocking than pass protecting, and the Vikings would prefer uh, to get pressure with their front four. So uh, they'll, they'll try for a while, see what happens. What kind of similarities do you think there are in the Eagles' run game to the Saints' run game? They've got kind of a bruiser with LeGarrette Blunt, who's played in a lot of big games for a lot of good teams. Then you've got Jay Ajayi, the guy they acquired midseason from Miami, had great yards per carry early in the season, not so much late in the season with Nick Foles at the helm. He went down about two yards per carry. But uh, compared to Ingram and Kamara, how do you think this Blunt Ajayi tandem stacks up. Yeah, not to uh, not to dismiss Blunt or Ajayi too much, but uh, I think Ingram and Kamara individually were more difficult talents to account for for the Vikings. And so, uh, with with Blunt Ajayi and also Corey Clement uh, from Wisconsin, uh, it's it's going to be a handful, but it's not going to be something they haven't seen before. 
the the issue I think is going to be more on the Eagles side, especially because you know with the Saints they could run their offense however they wanted. They very often ran first and then passed. Uh, until Nick Foles took over, they were really letting the passing game kind of dictate the running game. They're kind of struggling to adjust uh, in the running game in order to respond. Yeah, and some of the numbers that I cited on that that big show last night at Buffalo Wild Wings, the Eagles have gone down from 143 yards per game on the ground with Wentz to 88 with Foles. Ajayi is two yards per carry worse since Wentz left, and Blunt is averaging less than three yards per carry. So the run game has really suffered in conjunction with the passing game. Foles profiles as a quarterback that the Vikings just absolutely kill. You know, the the Daltons, the Flaccos, sort of the immobile guys. And, and, and Foles is the definition of immobile, just three rushing yards this year. That's a huge drop-off from what Carson Wentz was providing. And that's another reason why the running game is so lackluster, because you don't have a quarterback that really has any scramble ability to him. Uh, in terms of the other side of things, Case Keenum does have a little bit of scramble to him. It feels like a game where they try to get him outside and avoid those really good tackles on the Eagles' defensive line, right? Yeah, absolutely. With uh, with Fletcher Cox uh, and uh, and Timmy Jernigan, uh, you know, you've got probably the best pair. Uh, with all due respect to, to Aaron Donald, Michael Brockert, probably the best pair of defensive tackles that the Vikings have played all year. And uh, you know, interior pressure can be an absolute killer for quarterbacks. So I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if they tried to move the pocket around a little bit, take advantage of Keenum's mobility, but that's not going to be a panacea either, given you know how good Brandon Graham has been this year, how athletic of a player he is, how he's finally kind of come into his own, uh, and he's actually you know getting sacks this year, so just you know constantly pressuring. Add to that, you know they've got a stable Chris Long, Derek Barnett, Vinnie Curry. You know those are guys that are bringing pressure this year, so it's not going to be you know a cure all, but it will help to to kind of remove the influence as much as they can. Uh, of someone like Fletcher Cox. I loved that you used the word panacea just now. That was a $10 word. Good for you. Was there (laughs) anything that you saw in the Saints game as far as the offensive line is concerned? And I'm thinking primarily Rashad Hill. Was there anything that concerned you enough that you think would maybe force the Vikings to go back to Remmers at right tackle, reinsert Searles at left guard? Do you think it it got tough enough there in the second half on Hill, or do you feel like this is what the Vikings are rolling with on the O-line, for better or for worse? You know, I think they're definitely considering it, um, but uh, it's going to be a difficult conversation to have because uh, with Remmers, you very well could have somebody who's not just an upgrade over Searles, but an upgrade over Easton, who they had there, uh, at left guard. Uh, And, you know, Rashad Hill, he did play poorly last week, but overall, as a backup, you know, he plays really well, and I think he plays a lot better as a backup, generally speaking, than you can expect of someone like Searles. So it's going to be a difficult conversation. The the two things that I think kind of swing it in favor of kind of keeping it like it was last week, uh, first is that Fletcher Cox, I think, is a bigger threat to that offense than anyone else, and so finding ways to bolster the interior is probably a good thing. And the second thing is it's much easier to help a tackle out, you know, when they're struggling, which is kind of what the Eagles have been doing with Big V. Um, you can put, a, you know, a tight end and, and help them out there. Uh, it's also easier for the quarterback to account for edge pressure. So I think that they would rather take a small hit at, at the tackle position. But I think either either decision, you know, whatever they make, would be justifiable. It's Locked On Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Again, I'm Sam Ekstrom at Sam Ekstrom. This is Arif Hassan at Arif Hassan NFL. Find his works on coverage.com. Who do you think is better, Michael Kendricks or Eric Kendricks? 
It's tough. Um, they're not. Uh, what's interesting is they're not really one-to-one comparisons. Michael Kendricks is more of a bar type player, uh, and you know he rushes off the edge. He's super athletic. He's kind of in the same tier of athleticism as him and Shazier and Jamie Collins. Um, but uh, in terms of value to the team, you know, I think on a good day it's Eric Kendricks. Um, I think you know Kendricks. Uh, Eric has had uh, some uh, some issues this year, especially wrapping up tackles that we haven't really seen as much with Michael Kendricks. Um, but but Michael is more dynamic. You can do a lot more things on a defense uh, with him, and so it kind of it kind of depends on what you're looking for. If you've already got in Anthony Barr, I think Eric Hendricks is more valuable. But if you don't have that kind of guy, um, I think I think Michael can uh, can do more for you to kind of expand your defensive possibilities. So I, I kind of copped out a little bit there, but I think that gives us a good understanding of who they are. Yeah, that's a good answer. I enjoyed Eric Hendricks' remark the other day. He said that because Michael's the firstborn, he feels like the parents give him a little more favor. They might be wearing the, <laughs> course, e- the Eagles jerseys on Sunday, uh, in Eric's opinion. He was smiling, though. Uh, anyway, <laughs> let, let's do another comparison. How about Malcolm Jenkins, a Pro Bowl safety, against Harrison Smith, a non-Pro Bowl safety? Obviously, our listeners understand how big a travesty that probably is, but what makes Malcolm Jenkins so credible that he earned the Pro Bowl bid over a guy like Harrison Smith? Uh, yeah, you know, he is very credible. He's a very, very good safety, and I don't think you know he should have made the Pro Bowl over Harrison Smith, but uh, there's an argument to be had that he's a Pro Bowl quality player, and so uh, you don't want to dismiss that in favor of the, the direct comparison where I think he does suffer against Harrison Smith. The thing is, he does a lot of the stuff that, that, that Harrison Smith does. They're very, very similar in terms of the role and style. Uh, you know, uh, Malcolm Jenkins has done a lot in terms of manning up um, on players in the slot, whether or not that's receivers or tight ends. Uh, he does a, a very good job in run support. He's great in coverage. I don't think he has quite the range of Harrison Smith, nor do I think that he acts as quickly on instinct as Harrison Smith. But these are kind of minor differences that result in kind of the big gap in talent that they have. Uh, they're both very, very good safeties, and, and Malcolm Jenkins has been kind of crucial to kind of covering up some of the weaknesses uh, of of that secondary, you know, Rodney McLeod is 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 all right. He's having an okay season, but you know, I think Malcolm Jenkins kind of supercharges what he can do. Same thing with that cornerback that they have, Jalen Mills, who is a big play guy, but you know, gives up a whole bunch of big plays too. Malcolm Jenkins kind of cleans that up too, uh, and he's been a big part of helping that Eagles defense be one of the top five in the NFL. You've had a healthy skepticism about Case Keenum for the past few weeks and really past couple months. Were there any significant red flags, and, and the interception that he threw is an obvious one, but were, were there other red flags in that game that, that you are worried about Keenum now going in the road, outside, in a different, less controlled environment? How would you have graded his Saints game, and, and are you worried going forward at all about the, this Eagles game coming up? I am a little bit worried, uh, and you're right, I, I have had skepticism about him. Um, I, I don't want to grade his game too poorly because of just how spectacular I feel after having watched it, but I, I do want to say most of his game was pretty poor. Um, you know, there, there's a, his passer rating was in the 70s before that final throw, and that final throw, I think a lot of people can agree, was a lot more digs than it was Keenum, especially because, um, you know, I, I've had a couple of people, you know, tweet this at me, and I agree with them that uh, Keenum's inaccuracy on the throw might actually be the reason it was a touchdown instead of a field goal, yeah. uh, which is kind of just an absurd thing to think about. Um, but it does uh, kind of uh, underscore there were a lot of accuracy problems, there were a lot of read problems in that game where he was kind of reading the wrong guy. Um, but, you know, he, he was missing some easy throws in that game, uh, which is very frustrating. Um, he didn't have a great performance against the Saints, and the Saints are a good defense, it's no shame, but... 
uh, you kind of want a, a playoff quarterback to play a little bit better. How would you evaluate the Vikings secondary against the Eagles receivers? You know, the Eagles have Jeffrey. They've obviously got Aguilar. They've got Ertz, who's a great tight end. They've got a lot of different threats in the passing game, maybe a little deeper than the Vikings. Vikings probably better on the top of their depth chart at wide receiver. But I think that we're all anticipating Rhodes on Jeffrey sort of shadowing. How do you see it going with the rest of the Eagles receivers, and who do you think they'll be matching up against? I think for the most part, the Vikings match up really well, especially if Harrison Smith spends a lot of time uh, covering Zach Ertz. Um, you know, I think that the Alshon Jeffrey, Xavier Rhodes matchup is very favorable for the Vikings. Uh, and, you know, I think Torrey Smith and Trey Waynes, I think that's pretty favorable for the Vikings, uh, given how Waynes has been playing over the past, you know, uh, 10 or so weeks. Um, the, the only real uh, worry I have is Nelson Aguilar lining up against either, you know, Mackenzie Alexander or Terrence Newman in the slot kind of depending on what down it is and what the Vikings are looking for. Um, I think that both of them could suffer uh, in that just because of uh, the dynamic range as a slot receiver that Nelson Aguilar has showed this year, and he's really improved a lot as a player, uh, and he might be he might overmatch them. But I think just if you look at it overall, I think the Vikings' uh, secondary comes out ahead against that group of pass catchers. You mentioned something interesting to me last night about the weather. I think people were assuming that 51, 52-degree forecast was going to be pretty favorable, but you said something last night to me off-air that it might not be quite the case. It's something I heard from somebody in Philly, so take it with a grain of salt. Maybe there's a bit of wishful thinking there, but they told me uh, that you know the, the, opening, uh, the opening temperature, 51 degrees, is a little bit misleading because it gets cold really quickly. Uh, you know, after the after the game starts, uh, and this has happened before, uh, and if it drops quickly, obviously it's going to be basically a cold weather game, despite not having started, uh, or despite having started above 40 degrees. And, and not only that, there's a huge wind tunnel effect in that stadium, where the wind will uh, will make it feel a lot colder and, and probably carry the ball a little bit. And it should be a somewhat windy kind of as the day moves on, it gets windier sort of. So uh, that's what I've heard from from somebody who uh, told me already he was cheering for Philly. So maybe. You know, he's got he's got some wishful thinking, but it's something to watch out for that maybe, you know, 50 degrees and sunny, which is the weather forecast we're getting, is not going to be a good representation of the kind of conditions we'll actually be playing in. What's your gut instinct on the final score in this one? I know it's only Thursday. There's still time to contemplate and let those thoughts generate. But if you've got one right now with the right to change the opinion, uh, what would you say? Hey, I think uh, you know both quarterbacks struggle in the game. Both ha- both defenses are, are really amazing, but the Vikings' defense is better even when they're on the road. Um, so I would say that the Vikings, you know, gutted out uh, 17-14, something like that. Hit the under for sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people thinking this one doesn't hit the 20s, which I think is a very realistic expectation. It could be a similar score to what the Eagles had in their first playoff game, a 15-10 win over Atlanta. Arif, thanks for coming on the show short notice. On Twitter, at Arif Hassan. NFL, you're the man. Yeah, thanks for having me. My name's Sam Ekstrom, at Sam Ekstrom on Twitter. Locked on Vikings. It's the Locked on Podcast Network. Sage Rosenfeld back on the show tomorrow to make his pick for Vikings-Eagles.